0: Hey, everybody, I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are continuing a conversation that got started recently with a colleague. We were talking about the current state of veterinary medicine, and one of the things that came up was that it feels like to some of us that the predominant emotion, one of the predominant emotions in veterinary medicine right now is fear. And we talked about a bunch of examples, and we'll dive into that in the episode. And there were some great questions that came out of the conversation that Andy and I really wanted to take some time and discuss in more detail here on the podcast. There was questions like, is this normal? Are other professions like this? Are all professions like this? Are we an anomaly? Um, We talked about, has the profession changed and how has it changed over the last 20 or 30 years? And I think the most important question of all was the hope punk rebellion question of can this be changed? If this is truly our state, is this something that we as an industry can change? Andy and I had so much fun with this one. Let's get into it. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are
1: back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie. I want to see you be brave, God. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see you be... I've got, um, I have a soft spot in my heart for that, like, positive female, like, uh, empower. Like, um,
0: I... Like... Like a small boat on the ocean you know uh, anyway um i can't i can't anyway i I like that's that's a little out of your range (laughs) it is it is what is my range i don't know i just go for it and then we find out i I don't think rachel Platten's in your range (laughs) thank you you knew what it was which is great as i said i was like no one's gonna know what that is i totally knew what it was uh that's one that's one of my favorite songs this Uh, is my fight song uh (laughs)
1: <laughs> Take back my right song or turn on the light song. Anyway, it's something like that. I I do I do enjoy I love like that kind of like empowerment music is it's when I'm in the mood, it's mm-hmm. my jam. Mm-hmm. I just I just I know. like
0: it. I know your playlist uh is <laughs> It's full of is full of that for uh when we go to sh- to events and stuff
1: <laughs> yeah i know that's one of the a hard part of my life is the uncharted spotify account is also the dr andy work personal spotify right. account and so i get criticized <laughs> for my music by like 11 employees are all like Ooh, look at this <laughs> oh man
0: oh so fantastic i've got i've got a new
1: i've got a new segment of the show i have a new segment for our show okay it's um it's life lessons from advanced beginner hip-hop dance class with dr andy (laughs) work
0: okay so we've moved on from the garden to advanced advanced beginner advanced beginner (laughs) hip-hop okay lay it on me
1: advanced beginner hip-hop dance class (laughs) Um, that's, that's it. You okay. know, I find I find inspiration everywhere in this. Joyful Wait, so world, is it beginner is it
0: beginner beginner? It's like, how beginner. Does, okay. Advanced <laughs> beginner. Okay,
1: it's like there's the beginners and then there's advanced beginners. And my daughter is in the advanced beginners. beginner okay. class. And I saw the the uh, they had their recital yesterday and I was there. And what is what is what I what it was funny is uh for like she's been working on it's a dance. Okay. right so so it's a dance. first of all it's the dance that they chose is Kanye West's Jesus walk <laughs> um which is not remotely appropriate not remotely appropriate for 11 to 13 year old. Okay. Uh, Dancers. And yes, they play a clean version, but you can't find the clean version. So every time your kid wants to show someone, yeah, every time they want to practice, you're like, whoa, whoa. It was just the the choice of, of song was real real uh just i i i Uh, struggle i struggle a bit it was was, it was was a bold choice uh, the adult oversight there it was i was like oh mr trey um we need to talk we we should we i'm gonna give you some feedback one more time um and so if jesus walks okay and every day hannah comes home from uh dance practice and she's flustered and she's like ah there's the kids, there's one kid that's not paying attention and the other kids are not, the spacing is not right. Mm-hmm. They don't understand. It's a trapezoid shape. We're doing a trapezoid <laughs> shape on the stage and this one kid doesn't know the difference in a square and a trapezoid. She's very upset, you know? And so she's given this really specific critiques like down to the, people are not hitting their marks, things like that. And so so I've heard this for like eight weeks and I'm like, oh boy, uh-huh. this is a production and Hannah right. is very serious about getting it. And right. I get there and it is exactly what you expect for an advanced beginner 11-year-old hip hop <laughs> dance class recital as is to say it's chaos it is there's just it's the muppet show up there it's you know what i mean Express. and there's oh the kids are looking at each other you know what i mean to like make sure they're doing it right it is not the Fly Girls from In Living Color what? or, you know, any any other dance troupe that you might associate with hip hop dance. Anyway, the lesson, the life lesson I took away was make sure that you're not the person who's trying to, you know, um, perfect the presentation when you're in advanced beginner hip hop You know what I mean? Like, we all know people who were like, their perfection level is turned so far up of beyond Uh, what's what's ever going to happen in real life. And I'm like, that's Hannah. And so I had to have a conversation with Hannah about uh, accepting that uh, sometimes we're in advanced beginner hip hop dance uh, uh, and people aren't going to hit their marks. And we have to be a little bit careful about the trust fall part of the dance. And that's just what we have to be careful about. Um, Anyway, and so make sure that you're not going for perfection when you're working in advanced beginner hip hop dance or else you're going to be frustrated. And that's life lessons from advanced beginner hip hop dance class with Dr. Andy. (laughs) (laughs) I felt so bad for her because she was like, can you believe they didn't hit their marks? And I'm like, I can. I can. Uh I can believe that.
0: What I can't believe is that y'all are out here dancing to Jesus walks. <laughs> <laughs> like, of all the things that I'm struggling to believe, that's that's not one. Uh, <laughs> that's not the one. Oh man. Oh, okay. <laughs> My face hurts from laughing already, and we haven't even started. Um, <laughs> we uh, we have a fun one. Uh, this week, oh, I yeah. think uh, this one this one came kind of via the mailbag, but it uh, came from a community conversation in, in Uncharted. And one of our friends uh, was asking a question uh, about fear in veterinary medicine, and I thought it was such a good question. And it was like, "Hey, I've been this is an older veterinarian, and he's wonderful and progressive, and was just like, I've been around a long time, and <laughs> I feel like." We've gotten way more fearful, and I feel like the profession has changed radically over the last twenty or thirty years. Like I feel like now we live as a as a whole collective group in this state of fear. We're afraid of being sued. We're afraid of negative client interactions. We're afraid of bad reviews online. We're afraid of not being perfect for everybody all the time, and on and on and on. And he was asking, like, is this is this the new normal? Is have we really changed that much? And the other questions that I found were super super interesting were are, are all professions like this? Is it just us in veterinary medicine? And, and the best question was, can we change this? And and I would add, how do we change it? Um, to to that list of questions, and I thought it was such a fun one. And I said, hey, we would love to talk about this on the podcast because I have thoughts, and I bet Andy has thoughts. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I, I would thought. love to do what we do best, which is uh, sit in our sit. You sit in your basement, and me sit in my closet, and. <laughs> And let's let's soapbox about it.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm 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 all about it. I'm all about it. <sighs> um yeah, I I like this question. I think this is a big sprawling topic. And I think it's I think it's good to I think it's good to talk about. I really, okay. I really do. I like this question a lot. Yeah. Um I think that there's two parts of this. There's uh there's the larger culture that we live in, and then there's the way that we communicate inside that culture. And that's that's kind of that's kind of where I start. So 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 we'll start in Headspace here as we start talking about man. Why why is everybody so afraid in vet medicine? And is it just vet medicine stuff like that? I don't think it's just vet medicine. I'll just say that I I don't think that vet medicine is any scarier than a lot of other jobs. You know, and people say, but we have lives in our hands, and, and we do, and lots of other people have lives in their hands as well, or they have other things that really matter. Um, and so I again, I, I don't think that we own the market on our, you know, things, if things go bad in our job, they, they really go bad. um And that's true for bus drivers, you know, as, as well, and, and airplane pilots and, you know, all, all sorts of people, police officers and on and on. And so anyway, there, there's that. We, <clears throat> I think that overall, I mean, we live in a safety culture right now and, and just, there's been a lot of research on this and it's just, we have, uh, we have come to a place in a culture where we're very worried about things. And I think a lot of that comes from how we communicate stuff. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this a number of times with our kids and we talk about the kids and I just, I really like this cause I think this is important. And so, you know, um, there, you know, we, t- we talk about people or think about our, I think about my own childhood. I used to be, when I was 11 years old, I ran free in the neighborhood. Like I was just, my parents had no idea where I was, you know, until I came home at dark and man, there's, there is, no time in the day where i don't know where my 11 year old is now you know and it's i don't i'm not trying to enforce that but may mean i just tell you so my daughter's 11 my youngest uh hip-hop dance class daughter and like i have a little apprehension about her walking the dog and just by herself and off in the neighborhood and i it is not rational it is not rational at all but i do and it's just because people are like oh man you let your daughter walk away we had um this thing called Artisphere in Greensville, um Last weekend It's when you know they have all the little art exhibits set up on Main Street and everything, and and I got there and kind of whispered to my wife, "Hey, are we okay if the girls go off on their own?" Man, my girls are fifteen and eleven, you know, in downtown Greenville in the middle of the day, and I'm going. Uh, Allison was like, "Let's see if they ask, you know, like let's see if they." I, I, she's like, "I'm happy to be together as a family, but if they want to go off, then you know, then we'll we'll let them ask and do it, but." just the fact that i was like hey we should have a huddle about this and then go what am i what am i thinking how did we get to this place where you know uh, our anxiety is so is so ratcheted up when uh, as we look at the numbers you know the chances of something bad happening to our kids are lower than they've ever been <laughs> you know they just like uh, their their safety is is pretty flipping great and we have this fear about it and so anyway i'm not trying to jump onto a parenting bandwagon But I just use that as an example of the type of culture that we live in where we, you know, we are so aware now. And there's this sort of feeling of like, oh, boy, you do do not want something bad to happen. And I I just I think it permeates everything that we do. I definitely don't think it's a a vet medicine thing. What do you you think about when when I sort of lay that out?
0: yeah no i i agree I mean, you and I have definitely had this conversation about about parenting and and um there's a there's a book that both of us have have read um that was written by a parent about the idea of um you know free range parenting and and letting our kids um kind of have this space and i'm I'm with you like i I vividly remember as a kid like free ranging all over. Our small town. I mean, I would ride my bike miles because our parents, our parents, my parents worked both of them and they w- weren't home. And we were, by the time I was my kid's age, I was a latchkey kid and had been for several years. And so if I wanted to see my friends during the summer, I, ha- get on your bike and go, or you get on your skateboard and go. Like that's your, that's your choice or get on the bus. And I was like, dude, my kids don't know how to ride the bus by themselves. I'd been riding the the transit by myself for several years by the time I was their age. And so I, uh, you know, I, I read, uh, that book and it, uh, was after I had a conversation with my parents that like dramatically changed my foundation of how I parent, but I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think that, I was sure in the course of this conversation that that we were in a more dangerous place as a society. And I had an argument with my parents and 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 my mom was like said what you said, which is that statistically, no, like it's no different now. Um, It's actually probably safer now than it than it was. And and I was like, no way. Like, you know, because all you hear about is. Is the bad things and so I was like, no way, this got to be up. And so me being, being the, the C, uh, the C in me was like, I'm gonna go and get all the statistics and all the facts and figures and I'm gonna prove my parents wrong. And so I and so I looked it up and I looked it up for our small town and sure enough, like all the rates were less than they were when I was a kid. And I really sat, really sat back and it was a self awareness moment for me because I sat back and looked at it and I was like. Okay but but why and I, I was trying to ask myself what uh, like why would I think this and anyway so I it it, I went down a rabbit hole as as a parent but I I agree with you and where I landed was on a piece that I think really affects us fundamentally in veterinary medicine which is that as we as a society have become more connected and we have social media we have we have instant connection like when I when you and I were kids if something happened in town you didn't learn about it until you went to the grocery store or until you went to church on sunday or you you know went to school the next the next day right like there's you had to have the personal connection to hear about the things or it had to be printed in the newspaper which had a 24-hour delay and now there's instant news and there's instant like something happens across the world and it starts broadcasting on the computer that we hold in our hands and so there's this connectedness that accelerates the sp- the share of information which is wonderful and is a very very double edged sword and i think for us in veterinary medicine that and and professions like ours that connectivity and that ability for people to instantly connect in ways that they didn't before dramatically impacts our state of minds.
1: Yeah. I, so I completely agree with that. And I would, I would take it one step further, too, is to say that uh, I, I would zoom out a little bit and just say, you know, we live in the attention economy. And so what that means is we have in our media accepted a business model that's about getting getting and holding your attention. And I would say even before social media, the first thing I think that really started to amp us up towards being afraid all the time, it was 24-hour news. It when and going back to your point, it's very much in the vein of we used to get news when it came out in the newspaper, and there's only so much space in the newspaper, you know, and um, and then we heard it from other people. Well, when the nightly news came on at 6 p.m. and it was one hour, we got one hour's worth of news. And now we've got how many cable news channels or news outlets, not counting what's on the internet, trying to fill 24 hours worth of content. And they are just covering everything that they can find just to fill the day with a reason to keep watching. And so, you know, back to your point of, you know, we saw this thing that happened in your local town. The truth is there was something just absolutely bonkers that happened, you know, one state away in a small town and you never heard about it. But you hear about it now. I saw a, a, an extreme example. And again, this is this is I'm not saying the things that happen in other places aren't noteworthy or they aren't you know tragic or terrifying. They are. We just didn't used to know about them. So I saw I saw a great uh, a in-depth coverage recently in uh, The New York Times about a school shooting in Sudan, which is a country in North Africa. And I'm like, I, this is awful and it's not remotely close to us and that doesn't mean it's not a, it's not important or anything but the problem i think that we have as human beings is we are really bad at maintaining perspective we just don't understand how big the united states of america or canada or australia are when we say oh boy this terrible thing happened you know at you know at a supermarket in this somewhere else in the U.S. And you're like, this is terrible. And do you know how many supermarkets there are in, you know, in, in this country? Um, and, and so we just don't do a good job of hearing a story and putting it in proportion with how actually likely is this to affect us, like ourselves. And that's just, that's not how we're wired. You know, you think back, we're still running the hard wiring from, you know, millions of years ago when we evolved as a species you know what i mean like we're we are we have the the absolute you know belief it's funny uh my people say you know when, when we're talking about fitness or whatever people like listen to your body i'm like my body thinks that winter is coming and that the pizza tree is going to go out of bloom any time now any time and we better get right and like that's the model that it's running on is there's a there is a much better chance oh, in, so my, <laughs> in my body's mind of me starving to death than you know what I mean? Than than anything else. Like uh-huh. that's the number one concern that my body has is, but what if we starve to death? And like I am wired hard in that, in that way. It's the same thing here. It's like my body thinks that there's a tribe of maybe 50 people that we're interacting with. And so when it hears a story, it believes. That it's a story from those 50 people that we live with. And it's like, no, this is a story from some guy on YouTube that's in Switzerland, you know, uh, but 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 my my deep lizard brain doesn't doesn't get that. And so I just think that that, that connectivity, uh, that that battle for attention is, is a big deal. And so besides, you know, filling up 24-7, 365 on news networks and also on the internet and things like that, it's um you know, we know in social media, we know that the, the goal is, is engagement, right? Is to keep people on social media. And we know that if you want to get attention there, emotion is what carries it. And And honestly, fear and outrage are the two biggest, most sticky emotions that get people to pay attention. And so you look at, you know, look at our news and look at the headlines and just look at how geared towards fear and outrage the headlines are. And it's, that's not, that's not a that's not a flaw. That's a feature that that's how they were made. Like they were tweaked and tweaked to get there. And I go, we're just we swim around in fear. And so I, I don't again, I go back to I, I don't think it's vet medicine. Do I think that that we're more fearful now?
0: I absolutely. Mm-hmm. do. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think the other piece of connectivity that's that's important, when we talk about this specifically in the vet med context is that we have also, so we've experienced this cultural shift, right. Of going to the 24 hour news cycle and having instant connection to, uh, to your point, the whole world is in your hand. If you have a smartphone and you are connected to that guy in, (laughs) in Switzerland or in, you know, New York city in ways that you never were before, Um, you know, you would send a letter and it would take two weeks to get there previously. Right. And so, um, for us in pet med we also have the connectivity shift that has happened in regards to our pets and so I remember when we were kids like our family pets our, when I was young our family pets our dogs lived in the backyard like they didn't come in the house they weren't they were part of the family but they were you know they were backyard dogs and we loved them but that was what that was where they lived and they had a two-story dog house because that's my dad <laughs> They lived in the backyard, right? And so we have had this shift where our pets have become parts of our family. And I love this. And I am, I think this is fantastic. And we also have shifted as a culture to traveling and bringing our pets with us. And so with that has come this connectivity in our local communities in regards to pets in ways that we never had before. So, you know, when our pets lived in our backyards, we didn't go to the dog park and have conversations with other people who were experiencing veterinary medicine in similar and also very dissimilar ways because they're going different places, right? And so now people are bringing their pets to places that are pet friendly businesses and they're going to the dog park and they are talking and they are connecting and they are sharing experiences, not dissimilarly to the way that social media allows us to share with people that are the same, but also different from us. And so there has become this connection point that allows that that information to spread significantly faster. And it is good because we get tons of client referrals that way. We lean into that as an industry, right? We want our clients to go to the dog park and tell every Mrs. Smith and Jones that they meet how amazing their experience is at our hospital. And we also know to your point that as a society, we have been conditioned to focus on the sensational and the negative headlines, and so what is the vast majority of the information that's shared, especially on social media, it's negative. It's the it's the bad. It's the case, the one case out of a thousand in your practice that went sideways or that went badly, and it's it's so it's so timely that we're talking about this because I was uh, I got a an email speaking of 24 connection. I got an email yesterday with the updates from Nextdoor which is like an online community for your local neighborhood, right? And I I I get it just because it cracks me up to see what the old people at our neighborhood are bitching about. I live in a retirement community and they're around 24/7. So there's constantly conversation and it is it's hilarious to me. So I'm like flipping through and there's an article about a local practice in our area and um it the practice closed and, and there, there, was some, there was some concerns with the practice, but one of the comments really stuck out to me, which was um, someone who made the comment that like pediatricians, there's no room for error when it comes to our pets' lives. Veterinarians should be held to a higher standard. And I have been sitting with that since yesterday because I was just like, are you kidding me? We're, we're human mistakes are going to happen. No one of us is infallible. And yet there is this sense. I knew that this person was not alone because the comments started and everybody was like, you know, jumping on that bandwagon. And and I do think that 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 connectivity, like if one person had a bad experience that led them to thinking that thought or one person had um, a frame of, of mind or a frame of reference but they didn't have that connectivity before. They they might share with the people that they interacted locally, but it wasn't on that global scale. And so I think that that connection in vetmed has helped us. And I think that it also has hurt us on a on a core level in terms of being fearful and being, being negative. And so I would agree with you. I think we are way more fearful than we were when I started in Vet 20 years ago. And I think that there's good reason for a lot of it.
1: Yeah. So I have a friend who does a stand-up set and he talks about Nextdoor, the social media platform. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Nextdoor is a social media platform that you would think would be the best, but it's the worst. <laughs> And it's it's the worst because it shows you so clearly how nuts the people who live right around you are. And it's, it's just like, you know, these people and they live next door. And like, you're like, oh, boy, I'm learning things about people that I see. That I wish I did not know, and uh, I I I thought that was super funny. I think I think I think there's a lot in what you said just to unpack. I would say yes, the connectivity that we have means that unhappy people can now write online reviews and post in Facebook groups and things like that that they did not used to be able to do. Right, and so I, I do think that there's more more you know potential real damage there, and that's true for every you know that's true for everybody. If you run a restaurant and people have that experience, like every profession has that. But but it is it that is a, an actual thing that has has ratcheted up sort of fear. Uh, the, the other part about it is, you know, the changing relationship to pets. And I do think that there's some truth to that. And that, that's one place where I would say, OK, here's a place where I could say that actually the tension in vet medicine may have moved up a couple clicks when it wouldn't have necessarily or in a way it wouldn't have in other professions. And that is just people take their pets really seriously now. And, you know, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's not, it's not what it used to be, but, but here's the other part too, though, is um, while pets may have gotten more important to pet owners, I don't know that they've gotten more important to veterinarians or vet professionals because we already cared a ton. I just think that the average pet owner is, you know, uh, getting closer to where your vet professionals have already been. Like, we cared enough to go into this profession. Like, we were already at that level. And so, I, I, I definitely, managing the emotional reactions of the pet owners is harder when they're more invested sometimes. And I, I do think that's true. So, so, I would say, okay, I, I, I get that. And that may, may be a, a stressor that causes fear. That wasn't the way that it, that it used to be. You know, there, there's sort of two other things that I see a lot just in the way that we communicate. Well, three other things. So so the three things, number one is, before we had specifically social media, we as veterinarians did not see, or vet professionals did not see exactly what was happening in other people's clinics. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We did not, we, we if we had an angry client, we had an angry client. But we didn't have angry clients every day. It happened every now and then. But now through the you know the wonders of social media, we can we can be immersed all day, every day in people telling us the story about the angry person they just had. And while absolutely nothing has changed in our practice, we can feel like pet owners are out of control and everyone is mad. And like again, it goes back to that proportionality in, in our brain. But that that specific to vet medicine of People in the practice saying, boy, can you believe pet owners do this or this person did this thing and this is someone in another town far away. But man, you feel connected to them because they're talking in a language that you understand. And so that that connectivity is the first thing, right? The second, the second one is the way that a lot of our media works to make us feel like individual one-off things are a pattern, you know, that that there's a there's a sweeping change. And so there's this thing in psychology called the Texas sharpshooter fallacy. And the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, the way it works is just imagine that you had someone with a, with a gun and you told them to shoot at a barn. And so they stand back and they just shoot, shoot, shoot at this barn. And then you walk up to the barn and you look at where all the holes are. And then you paint a bullseye where the holes are. And you go, aha, look at this clustered. It looks like they were shooting at a bullseye. The truth is, these are just random smattering across the side of this barn. But when you draw a bullseye and you say, this is what it means, this is the pattern, you can make a pattern appear where there absolutely wasn't one. And so we'll hear a lot of stuff in our in our news or media, and they'll talk about this shocking trend. And I think that that happens a lot. We say, boy, pet owners really are 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 more difficult than they've ever been. That I'm like, you went and found five different instances across the entire you know, continent of North America. And now you're calling it a trend. And the truth is, it's some of it's just coincidence and some of it is just, hey, you know, we happen to have angry people in our continent th- this week. But you can package that stuff together and tell the story that it's a trend and that makes it more scary, more sensational, more likely to get people to to take a look. And so I feel like that's sort of a journalistic practice that we see a lot online. And we get swept up into this as far as, oh my gosh, things are getting bad. V- veterinarians are getting bullied in a way they didn't used to. And I go, I think veterinarians are getting bullied more because there's more tools that people can use to bully people. But I don't know that it's a shocking trend that's going somewhere that this is, you know, just building and building and getting worse and worse. I, I, I just, I don't know that, but it looks that way. And then, and then the last thing is what I call, uh, I've heard it called nut farming. And nut farming is when... Uh, We look at the continent and we find one example of one just wild, over-the-top example of something scary, something bad. And we put it forward and say, look at this. It could happen to you. And I'm like, boy, you went deep down a Twitter rabbit hole to find this one person that you're now holding up as if they're an example of what the average pet owner is. And then you go, that's just not true. But we see it all the time and and it still works. Like I know that that's what's happening and it's still, if they find the right person, it can make me feel angry and unappreciated and afraid. And I go, I'm aware of this trick and it still gets at me. So I think all of those things are things that happen. Um, that that I think add to add to our fear of of practice
0: yeah i I think i I agree with you and then I think from a headspace perspective the the last thing um and, and you and I have talked about this uh a few times because it has we've kind of come to this place as a industry where we're talking about um, you know, we're talking about the changes in veterinary medicine, which are good. Like we have seen radical changes uh, in the in the twenty years that that I have been in the field, and um, there is some of the trends that I think are maybe not as good. And one of those is um, has to do with like the vet schools and the the training, right, and the educational perspective. And this, like, let's do the gold standard. And I think one of the things from a fear perspective, and again, now that we're having this conversation, I'm questioning, like, is it actually happening more frequently or am I just thinking that it's happening more frequently because we're connected and we're sharing experiences and so I'm hearing other people's and so maybe it's happening at the same rate it was before. But I, you know, thinking about my, my own perspective and having new grads in my practice and having doctors who are just like, oh, I don't. I'm not qualified. I'm like, let's send this to the specialist or let's send this, you know, let's send this for review. I want somebody to double check my work. And I have to wonder, like, is that fear coming from the people themselves or is that coming from the way that we're training them or the way that we're approaching it in veterinary medicine?
1: I, I was doing a podcast with this neurologist, a veterinary neurologist named Dr. Sean Sanders. And, uh i've I really enjoyed talking to him i've had him on on the Conan shane podcast twice now i don't know if the second episode's come out yet but it, it's if it hasn't it'll be out really soon but it's it'll be out by the time this episode comes out um anyway he, he's an, he's a neat guy he's interesting he makes this really strong point and his belief is that years ago you know maybe 10 in the last 20 less than 20 years right up to maybe 20 years ago Um, You know, we had these veterinary specialists coming out and they were being trained at the vet schools and and the vet specialists would do our education in the vet school like we were trained by specialists. And there were plenty of specialists sort of coming out and they're sort of being put out. And his his implication was that, you know, there there is a bias in teaching to train young doctors to refer things up to specialists. And when there was a really a focus on delivering gold standard of care, we teach gold standard of care. That's what we want our doctors to know. Well, the gold standard of care is often to send this case to a specialist who's, you know, who's sort of a boarded surgeon who does surgery all day long because they'll do a better job. And I go, that's true. You know, um, if it's a, if it's a splenectomy or a GDV or especially orthopedics, I assure you that a boarded surgeon is going to do a better job than me. And, it is a better center of care for you to go to that person. And his idea was that because we were trained and trained, that that line of where we refer, it might have been slipping farther down saying, you know, well, you know, maybe you should refer that as well. And you should refer that as well. And I, I do think I remember in my training, there was definitely an inclination. I remember people saying things to me like, well, you're not going to actually do this, but, you know, I'm going to show it to you. And <laughs> And again, we and we've heard a lot of a lot of doctors come out who are not comfortable doing you know advanced procedures and things like that. And so I, I think that there is a certain amount of fear that the gold gold standard of care and the way we're educated puts into us of you 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 want to send this away. There's someone else out there who has the appropriate training for this, and it's really not you. And and I do think that that sort of approach in teaching is, has. Has sunk into a lot of us. From what I'm hearing now, and, I, and what I believe is the sort of the rise of spectrum of care approach and the idea that, hey, you know, gold standard is getting maybe a bit unattainable for a lot of pet owners let's Let's start to talk about what an acceptable silver standard looks like or a basic standard looks like. and uh, and we're starting to see some shifts in that. and i've I've heard that education is shifting that way. and and that makes me I think that makes me happy. I think that's a good place to be. But I do think for a lot of us, I think there's a lot of doctors out there who came out in the last twenty years who have some concerns about doing things that they're not the best person to do. And I think that may have been baked into us a bit when we were coming out. And so I do think that that is a type of fear that probably did not exist in doctors that came out more than 20 years ago when it was much more like, no, you're the vet and you're going to go and you're going to deal with what comes in.
0: Right. All creatures, great and small, like Yid walks in your door, you got to be prepared to deal with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I, th- I think that's, th- that's the last thing. I'm I'm totally with you there. I think there's a part of our education that may have cause that, that type of, that type of fear. So that, anyway, I think, I think from a head state standpoint, we always talk about why do we feel this way? And, you know, we came all this way, what are we going to do about it? I, I think I think we could, uh, let's take a break here and then we'll come back and let's start to talk about like, how do we manage this? Because I, I absolutely think there are things that we as a profession can do. Mostly, I think we as individuals can manage this. And I really like that because it empowers people to do it themselves. Like, I, I think that we can control our own fear and how we go forward and be really smart about it.
0: I love that. Let's take a break. Hi, friends. Do you struggle with finding the right cadence for team meetings in your practice? Do you feel like maybe you're meeting not enough or maybe you're meeting too often and you're stuck in meeting hell? I feel you. Finding that balance, trying to work on improving communication, make sure everybody stays on the same page and getting things done in a busy vet practice is really, really hard. But we've got a solution for you. Join the Uncharted community on July 1st, 2023 from four to 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's one to 3 p.m. Pacific for an Uncharted workshop presented by my friend and colleague, Maria Perita. She's a CVPM, and if you've not met Maria before, you are in for a spicy treat. She is amazing, and she is super excited to kick off the conversation talking about team meetings with her take on making them effective and efficient. That's right, it's called effective and efficient team meetings. It's $99 to register, but it's free for our Uncharted members. Now, if you've never been to an Uncharted workshop before, this is not your traditional webinar where the presenter or the speaker sits there and talks at you for an hour. The goal for our community workshops is to make them live. We don't want you to sit silently in front of your screen. We want you to be engaged and interacting for the one to two hours that you're meeting with our speakers to have the chance to ask your questions, to talk to your peers, and interact with other rockstar veterinary professionals because that's what you are. And we want to see you there. So head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events. To sign up for this workshop and check out what's coming because we've got a bunch of stuff coming up in the future that you don't want to miss. And now back to the podcast.
1: All right, so let's get in. Let's get into what we do about this. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like being. Uh, I don't like being afraid. Uh, you know, something I've noticed in myself over the years is is having some anxiety about about things that don't w- warrant having anxiety. And so this is something I've obviously I've thought a lot about and have really tried to build, uh, safety catches and pushbacks against into my own life. And boy, talk about return on investment. It, uh, getting, getting out of a headspace like this and feeling more comfortable. Boy, it's, it's, it's worth the effort.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, this, this one, it's, it this episode really excited me and it was, uh, I was, I was excited to have this conversation and I was also had some, had some, uh, trepidation because like i i feel this when i look back at my own career <laughs> um i quit being a veterinary technician because i was afraid um i i was i was i was someone who had significant fear for some of the reasons that we talked about um and there their stories there <laughs> and um but but at the end of the day, like when it comes to how did it, how did I have to deal with it? Well, I was afraid. And so I had an opportunity to make a change in my career. And so I I, I ran away. I was afraid. And I said, I'm just going to I'm just going to quit. And I'm not a quitter. I've never been a quitter. Like, you know me. That's not my personality. And I know oh, to- you,
1: you stick around. <laughs> you're like you're like a non healing draining track. Like you just you just keep going.
0: Thank you, thank you that's for right.
1: that. Like I'm... you're like you're like methicillin resistant <laughs> Steph Gossius. Oh, I can't. Um, <laughs> I wanted to agree agree enthusiastically with thank you. you. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. I like to make sure my employees feel empowered and supported, and so I'm I'm yeah. on board with this statement.
0: A <laughs> <laughs> draining wound track. That's that's a me.
1: draining <laughs> draining <laughs> wound. He's like a nidus of infection. Does not stop.
0: Okay, but I did. I did stop and I ran away because okay. I was because I was afraid. And I had to do a lot of work. And for me, the work started completely unrelated. I was going to therapy and talking about some other things and realized that I had some work to do. And where it had to start with was, was why the question of why it uh, like. And I, it's, come, it's all, does it all come back to Simon, Simon Sinek? Uh, what, well, let's start with why. But for me, when it comes to the fear and the action steps of this, whether it was me on a personal level or team members that I've worked with or our industry as a whole, I think we have to start with the why. And there's a whole multitude of reasons why. Whether it's individual, in my case, having some horrific experiences with anesthesia and and specifically having my own fears or whether it's us as an industry being worried about the increasing social connectivity and the ability the the fact that we're living in a litigious society and that we could get sued at any minute or we could have a board case brought against us at any minute. Like we have to start with examining where the fear is coming from, because I think the the answer, the action steps are going to vary depending on where that fear is coming from.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with that. And so, I, I, uh, step one, when we're feeling when we're feeling fearful about practice or things in practice that, that give us anxiety, I, I agree with you. So, a couple things you put there, um, I'm going to start and say, why am I afraid? What does this What does this fear mean to me? I really do think that that is the underlying underlying reason. I, I think for a lot of us in vet medicine, a lot of us are perfectionists. A lot of us put a ton of uh, weight on our shoulders. I have found, I tell it is true for me, I I, I found it to be true again and again with veterinarians that that I have worked with is a lot of times there's anxiety about or fear about doing things. Uh, I think a lot of us have this struggle with feeling worthy we feel like imposters. And what if people find out that I'm an imposter? What if what if I make a mistake and people don't respect me anymore? What if I make a mistake and they don't see value in me anymore as a person? And and that may sound over the top, but I, I assure you, it's not. And it's, it's a very common uh, it's a very common approach. It comes a lot from you know I'm going um I, as we as we do this I'm getting ready to get in the car and I'm going to drive out uh, to one of the veterinary schools and I'm speaking at the graduation, which is always an honor, and um and one of the points that I've decided I want I want to make in my you know brief time talking to them is I really do want to encourage them to remember that veterinary medicine is what you do. It's not who you are. And some people don't like that. And we talk about the calling in medicine. But I'm I'm really pushing back on the other side and say the key for me to unenjoying being a veterinarian is not defining myself as a veterinarian. I am a dad and I am a husband and I am a gardener and I attend advanced beginner hip hop dance classes <laughs> and, you know, things, things like I have other things that I do and then I do, and, and then I do vet medicine. And if vet medicine doesn't go well, that's not devastating to me in my identity. But boy, it was for a while. I, you know, when, when I was getting started and I was Dr. Andy Rourke, you know, and, and social media was big and I was doing a ton of stuff there. I really had a lot of fear about what if this doesn't work out? And what if I, what if I mislead people? Or what if some of my advice isn't good? Or what if someone who, you know, knows more than me about a specific topic that come, what if they challenge me? And I'm, I, you know, what if they're right and I'm not? And I go, boy, I was so wrapped up in this identity, a feeling, and no one else thought that. No one was like, right. "Let's." I need some real insight. Let's see what Andy Rourke <laughs> has to say <laughs> on GDV surgery. It's like I'm not your guy, but I put that. I I was very worried. Like, oh boy, yeah, if well, I if sure. I say things, then people. And again, it was it was a feeling of of worthiness, and you know, and, and being being seen as a va- as someone of value. And it it wasn't until it wasn't until I really burned out. You know, back in 2019, when I really had to step back and look at my life and go, "Buddy, you are—you're a whole identity. It's wrapped up in professional success and, and how you're being perceived, and it's killing you. Uh, you know, and it's not fun. And and that's—that was a big part of setting that aside. And so, anyway, um, we we got to figure out why why we're why we're afraid. Why does this bother us? And you know, the answer may still be there's a thing that I don't like to do. Like if you say, I don't like surgery, it gives me anxiety, I don't like it. I think it's worth exploring why we don't like surgery. Um, know thyself. I, I, there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't like to do surgery and I just, you know, and I let the other doctors do it. That's not bad, but I think there's, there's real value in figuring that out. Uh, you know, one of the things that you mentioned as well is to say, I, I truly believe that uh, therapy can be wonderful in that it helps people unpack that. The way, the way that I look at therapy and I talk about therapy is this, you know, there are times in my business when I don't exactly know what to do, or I kind of know where we should go, but I don't really know how to get there, you know, or, or I'm just not the right person to, to fix the problem. And I say, okay, I, I need an outside perspective. I need different language that I, that I personally don't have. I, I need, I need a fresh set of eyes here, um, And it's not that I'm not good enough. It's just, you know, other people have this expertise. And this is, it's hard to see yourself. It's really hard to get an outside, like an outside perspective when you are up to your neck working on whatever you're working on. And so at that point, it's worth hiring a business consultant. You know, I say, I'd pay somebody. I don't know how to get out of this hole, or I feel like I'm going in circles. I just need fresh idea, fresh perspective. I'm gonna pay somebody for their time. Um, at first, you know, at first I'm gonna to talk to my friends and things like that. But at some point, I'm gonna pay somebody for their time, and and that's how I see therapy as well. It's like, man, if you're if you're rolling around and wrestling with something and you can't get a good perspective because you're so deep in it, and your friends and spouse are sick of hearing you talk about it and they don't <laughs> know how to help you anymore. Yeah. Uh, or you don't want to talk to them anymore. Well, it's time to hire somebody and just be like, hey, I'm bringing you in. I'm very much, again, people have different things that they want in therapy and I'm not trying to tell people what you should want. Uh, I am super pragmatic, problem oriented. And so in times that I've used a therapist, I've been like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Like, this is a thing I'm working with and I could use some encouragement. I, I need a, to get a perspective on this help, help me work through this and then I, I do it and then when it's over i'm like great thanks a lot got what i needed i feel good i got this thing worked out i'll call you if i need you in the future and like that that's that's it it does not have to be an all-in i think a lot of people are like this is a lifestyle and it's like, it can be it doesn't have to be but I, I just anyway, I, I just put that forward as to say, well, this has been my perspective on, on therapy and sort of how how I have personally used it at times in my past when, I'm, when I've wrestled with stuff. And so anyway, I, I, I know that that's a big soapbox that you that you love to climb on. And, and I don't mean to squeeze you on your soapbox, but but I do think it's a good place if you're like, man, I'm really working on this. I, I think I think where you go from here is what did you find, you know? Like, what did you find when you dug in? Was yes. it like, I I don't, I'm not confident in these things? I like, go, great. Can we do CE and training? You know what I mean? If it's, I'm not comfortable, I'm afraid of anesthesia. Great. Can we get educated on anesthesia? Can we go do work and put in time so that we go, oh, okay. This doesn't feel like such food anymore. I was okay before, but now I really feel good and sharp. And now I'm ready to, to give this another try. Start slowly, dip my toe in the water and, and kind of go from there. You know, a lot of it, um, you know, a lot of it is um, a lot of it is about about getting comfortable, getting what we need, whether it's support. Some of it may be I don't feel comfortable because I don't have the relationship I need to have with this person that I'm working with. I'm the technician and I don't I don't have a good relationship with a doctor. Well, maybe we can work on that and and, and see how it comes uh, comes out. I think, uh, you know, a lot of times when we talk about Being fearful, you know, one of the big therapy approaches is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is basically like, hey, if you're afraid of something uh, and you want to do it, then avoidance is is not not what we want. You know what I mean? We want to we want to work towards it. We want to we want to we want to do scary things or do hard things so that we know that they don't have to be scary and so we can have some good experiences. But you want to be smart and set yourself up so that you can dip your toe in, you can do the scary thing in a safe way, and start to build confidence. And it's a process. I think a lot of times people are like, I'm afraid of this thing, and tomorrow I'm going to throw myself into it and I'm not going to be afraid anymore. It's like, I don't know if that works for some people. I, I don't think that works for most of us. I think if there's something like this that you makes you fearful or you struggle with, I think one of the kindest things you can do for yourself is say, this is a process. I, I don't think it's wrong to say, if you're afraid of anesthesia to say, you know what? My 2023, my June, 2023 to 2024 program, self-development program, it's going to be about anesthesia. And by June of 2024, I want to feel comfortable and I'm like man you got 12 months to get there and so start small you know set little milestones and and work to it i don't know
0: i don't know you're laughing this what is, do you think this is this is not andy coaching stephanie because that will not be my 2024 goal <laughs> i think stephanie goss
1: when i look at you i'm like you know what goss needs anesthesia coaching <laughs> i don't because no, what would happen because... is i'm gonna get tranquilized i was, I was like <laughs> but if you were if we were traveling together and you were reading a book on anesthesia i I would you i would be so concerned like this is
0: no no that is i will (laughs) i will leave that to mcnerd all day long that is never gonna be that is never gonna be a thing uh i will never be in anesthesia nerds as much as i love tasha like that is not my jam and I did, I did the work. I, I did the work to figure out the why. And then I put myself through the process of, I avoided the fear for a really long time. And then I was like, okay, I need to actually overcome this fear. And so I, I, I took the cognitive behavioral therapy approach and I tried the thing in safe environment and small doses. And At the end of the day, I was like, okay, I can do this thing and I can survive. I am sweaty, disgusting mess, but I can do the thing. And it was enough for me to say, okay, I've done the thing and I am perfectly fine walking away and leaving the thing behind me uh, because a part of it was, to your point, was that identity work and figuring out who I actually am and, and saying, I'm okay with this not being my whole identity because there's this whole new, uh, this whole new part of me that has opened up as a result. And I'm thankful. Like I love, I love this. I love veterinary. I love medicine. I love veterinary medicine. I love the science part of it. I could nerd out about so many facets of medicine from a tech perspective. And what I recognized is that my jam is not there like i love it and i it's a it's a happy place but that is that's not my thing i love the people piece of it and i don't know that i would have ever explored it if I hadn't have done if I hadn't had done that piece of it like I might have just quit completely and and walked away from it and so I think it it goes back to that starting with why and you know we were talking about the schools and coming out and I've had a couple new grads now who have come out and they have been in that place to your point of referring well somebody who knows more than me should do this case somebody somebody else should take care of this patient I'm not qualified to do this thing and Um, I had a lot of guilt about pushing some of them to do the thing anyways, because I have practiced in places where we don't have a specialty practice down the street, right? We don't like they're going an hour to get critical care or, or specialty care or two hours. And so to your point, not everybody can afford it. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants that travel. And so we have a lot of clients who are like, Oh no, I'm fine. If you guys do the thing, can you just do, you know, can you just do it? And so that's part of the reality of practicing medicine where I live. And so I went through that with some of our new grads and recognizing like, Oh, okay. They have to figure this out for themselves. I can't want it more than they do. And I also have to figure out how to work with them and recognizing that If practicing medicine where I live means that they have to do these things, it's okay if they want to draw a hard line in the sand and say, I do not want to practice surgery. I want to just do outpatient. And the result of that might mean I might be able to get them a plan. I might be able to print out that blueprint, like you said, and work your way towards facing the fear. And it might be okay that it's a line in the sand for them. And the result of that might mean they're not the right fit for my practice. And I think so many of us are so wrapped up in that identity piece of it that we force ourselves to make situations work that aren't nece- that that isn't necessarily the best choice for us for our patients for our for our peers um because we're because we're afraid of that identity piece.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I can tell you one one for me that I had to unlock which was all those colors kind of tied together but you know, I I really I really stressed out about clients getting angry at me. Like, I really did not want to have angry clients. And, um, and I, I very much wanted to make them happy, you know. And uh, until I sort of started to say, well, Andy, why? Why does this bother you? And then really started to go, oh, okay. It's because I, def- I am defining myself and my success by how I make pet owners feel. And until I unlocked that, I was I was stuck in that kind of loop of, oh, my gosh, this person's this person's uh, experience, their facial expressions, you know, their their online reviews mean so much to me. And I go, God, that's what a horribly unhealthy place to be. You know, there's this uh, there's this uh, this part of the first season of Ted Lasso when Ted asked like the star soccer player, he was like if you could be any animal, what would you want to be? And he was like, why would I want to be any animal? I'm me. <laughs> and Ted goes, that's a, I don't think you understand how healthy that is. And was like, that is healthy. You know, um, it's like, man, that's what I am. Um, I, again, it doesn't mean that I, that I don't care. Of course I, I still do. But I think some of it was, you know, I had to go through those experiences of having clients get angry at me and yeah. recognize that the sky didn't fall. And, you know, and, and work past it. So anyway, uh, you know, the, the next one I'll sort of lay down from an action step. And this has just been a, a big one for me in my career is get present. I think we we are all, we live in a state of perpetual distraction. And I think, honestly, if there is one thing, and this is not easy to do, but if someone said, Andy, work real quick. I've got 30 seconds left and I'm going to disappear. And you're never going to see me again. And I will do whatever you say. How do I be happy in practice? I would say, get present. Get out of your head. Get into what you're doing. Be fully present with what you're doing right now in the day. Throw yourself into your work and just focus on being there with the pet, the pet owner, and with your team. And if you do that, you'll be great. And then they would disappear. And that would be my fun <laughs> piece of advice. It's much easier said than done. But I think a lot of us, we live up in our heads. We go, what if this happens? What if this goes bad? What if this doesn't turn out the way that I thought? Well, the truth is, well, you'll cross that bridge when you come to it. You know, like, are, you can ask yourself this question and then say, is this going to change how I am behaving right now, the choices that I'm making? If the answer is no, then put it away. Get back into what you're doing in the moment. I, I think another thing that I've been thinking about saying to the graduates when I get up there is, um, and again, I, I won't be able to say all these things. It'll come together. I promise it will. It'll, it'll work and <laughs> I, it won't. It'll be better than I'm <laughs> making it sound now, I promise. But I... If I can give them a piece of ice, it's try to love the mundane work of being a veterinarian. Not not to define yourself by the outcomes, but to actually enjoy just doing the work. Being in the room, enjoy talking to the clients, enjoy talking to the staff. You know, just try to enjoy the mundane parts of actually doing. And I think a lot of that is absolutely key to getting out of your head about being afraid, being anxious, you know, being fearful of just, just get present. Are you going to do this surgery? They're not going to the specialist. This dog's got a splenic tumor that's bleeding. Are you going in there or are you not going in there? And if you're going in there, get present, deep breaths, get your stuff together. What prep do you need to do? And then go to work and just put yourself into it. And, and I think that that's really the key uh, for getting past a lot of this stuff. And, and, and also just enjoying what we do for a living. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that when you when you look when I look back at my career and I think about some of the some of the highlights, I think some of the best days are the days where you were fully present, whether it was for a period of time, you know, sitting with the owner while they said goodbye to their best friend or doing the difficult even doing the difficult surgery, like truly being present and letting go of all of the distraction and just doing the work like those are some of the best days. And I especially as we shift in our career, I think to a leadership perspective, your point is so such a good one, because I think about how many days I showed up in the practice for my team. And I was thinking about 10 million other things. And I never did my best work when I was thinking about all of the other things. When I set it all down and said, I'm going to give my full attention to this thing, whether it was holding a patient in the treatment room because they needed help or sitting down and having a one-on-one with somebody on my team, like that's where we... Engage with ourselves, with our with our patients, with our clients, and also with our fears. Because if we're not really like giving it hundred percent, we're never going to be able to address those.
1: Yeah, I I I, I agree. Um, I saw an interview with uh, basketball coach Phil Jackson, and the guy's like a legend. He's won eleven NBA titles and whatever. And he was just talking about his players, and he was like, you know, getting these people these these players to be present in the moment when the media is around them and taking pictures of them and making stories and you know and it's just and people are trying to get their attention and and just it's just it's so much distraction and so he he ended up he would have all of his players wear a rubber band around their wrist and then the idea was that they would snap that rubber band and that that little ouch would bring them back to the present but he was like yep everybody on the team wore it and we would snap it or we would have other people would reach over and if they thought you were zoned out they would snap it to get you to, yeah to to come back and the whole thing was meant to be like get back here in the moment right here in the here and now i think it's a big part so i got I, i've got that stuff now i got i've got one last one last piece okay uh for from me are you ready lay, for this lay
0: lay it on me all right
1: so i saw this is this has been an important thing for me recently and it's just it's where i've been living and man i, I really love this so i saw a quote uh, it was from Tumblr, and it was a science fiction uh, writer. But she wrote uh, this thing that said, "The opposite of grim dark is hope punk. Pass it on." And 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 what she meant was, there's there's so much of a desire in our society to be afraid and to be cynical and to say, "Yes, things are bad and they're going to be bad," and people seem to believe that. If you want to look smart, you should assume that things are going to end badly, and you should expect the worst. And we all know people in vet medicine that as soon as a sick pet comes in, they go, "Oh, I bet it's got parvo." Right. <laughs> and and they and they and yes. they'll just go straight to the cynical, to the darkness, the negative, and, and they yeah. do it because it's a self it's a self protection mechanism, right? If you assume that things are going to be bad, then you're not disappointed when they're not, and 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 you just there's a lot of people who just live there. And so I would say, so when I talk about the opposite of Grimdark is Hope Punk, the idea is I I really believe that we have settled into a society that's that's built on fear and it's built on cynicism, and the idea that things are bad and they're going to continue to be bad, and it's it's just it's all founded on badness and you know, everything is a crisis and blah, blah, blah. And and they just they they hold on to that. And I don't say that. Uh, Hope Punk it's not a rejection of those things right I'm not saying that there aren't hardships in medicine there are I'm not saying you're not going to get a a group of people on Facebook who hate your guts and are coming after you or that a a case isn't going to go bad and you're going to have a pet die like that's that's going to happen this is a hard job and people are hard to deal with they are and anyone who tells you no that's just a mindset those people are out of their minds it is not that's true (laughs) that's real right yeah things can be real and you can still push against them you can still rebel against the system and the society and that's kind of where i am is i think it's time for rebellion i think it's time for revolution and the way that we revolt against cynicism and fear and practice it's not positivity it's not saying no things are good like that's 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 got its own toxicity right that's 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 rejecting things that are objectively true which is like this is scary or this is hard the, the, the way we rebel against fear and cynicism is with optimism and hope, right? It's going in and saying, yeah, I get it. Things are hard. And you know what? I'm going to stick it to the system by, <laughs> by believing that tomorrow might be better than today. Uh-huh. By believing that I have the power to make something good right here, right now. And I get it. Life is hard. But I'm going to go out of my way to help somebody else. Not because I want them to write a review, just because I want to push back against uh, darkness in the world. And I think, guys, I think it's time for a rebellion in vet medicine. I think it's time for a, a Hope Punk
0: hope rebellion. Hope Punk rebellion.
1: I do. And I, I keep going back to punk, right? Because like punk rock music, I like punk rock. I like the idea of people who are like, you know what? I'm a misfit. I don't fit in with this and I'm okay with it. And I'm like, Yeah. I'm a optimism punk. That's what I am. I've got I've got a smile and a wink for a mohawk and I've got a freaking uh hey buddy let me help you out face tattoo. And I'm I'm like that's it. You know, I've got I've just I I am going to I'm going to wear that punk rock sneer cuz I know that I'm going to jump in and help you. And if, some, if there's a change that has to happen, I'm going to say, what if this works out even better than it has been, guys? Like, <laughs> what if this turns into something really good? Because that is punk rock today. The idea that things could be better in the future than they are now is so anti-establishment. I love it. So last thing I would say is hope, punk, revolution, vet medicine. <laughs> That's what I want.
0: Come, come over to our side. We have Andy and a Mohawk in tattoos, face tattoo. That's right,
1: face tattoo that says "Have a nice day." And this might all work out great. That's what my, that's what my tattoos say. And that's it. Join the Hope Punk Rebellion. It is. I don't know. There's anything better against uh, feeling fearful than to say, you know what? I am going to embrace optimism in your face. <laughs>
0: With my face.
1: With my That's it. That's all I got.
0: That's all I got. <laughs> all
1: right. Good. All right. I think we're out of time. I'm pretty sure we are we are over time here. Yeah, we better we better wrap this one up. All right, guys Thanks for being here. <laughs> see you next year. See you next week. I'll see I'll see you. I'll see you next week. You know why I'll see you next week? Because you're a non-healing wound. <laughs>
0: A festering wound of MRSA that's never going to leave you alone. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You are mine, methicel and resistance. I'm, I'm with you infection. for life
0: now. <laughs> like a face tattoo. Have a great week, Michael everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stephanie Goss is my face tattoo. Like, ah, oh, it was might have been a mistake when I got her, uh, but I'm in it now. I'm in it now. Uh, All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye.
0: Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.